Hello and welcome to Life Perspectives, an intergenerational podcast from Cumberland Lodge. Episodes will be presented by young Cumberland Lodge fellows past and present and shared during 2022 to mark the 75th anniversary of the Cumberland Lodge charity. For our first episode, we are joined by Dr Angelica Love, a social integration and diversity researcher, leadership consultant and Cumberland Lodge fellow, and Dr Margaret Heffernan, media producer, businesswoman, mentor, award-winning author, public speaker and professor at the University of Bath. Today we are exploring leadership, covering leadership style, young leadership and diversity of thought, behaviour of team settings and more. I now hand you over to Angelica and Margaret. Margaret, thank you so much for joining me on this inaugural episode of the Cumberland Lodge podcast. I'm really happy to be talking to you. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We've talked before and I've told you about my background as a social psychologist before I started into leadership consulting and the sort of leadership development space. And so, of course, as a social psychologist, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about opportunities to talk to and engage with people from a different social background, from a different generation in this instance. But I think we we also have quite a lot in common. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the the hooks for this conversation, one of the the, um, initiating features, I would say. And that is that we are both working in the space of leadership development, leadership advice at the very top of organizations. And that we're both very interested in diversity in leadership positions, women in leadership roles and diversity more generally. So I'm looking forward to delving into those topics today with you. Great. Um, but before we kick off with that, how about we have a very quick, um, quick fire question round to get us okay. started. And um, the first question I'd like to ask you is, what were you doing at my age? I'm 28 now. What were you doing at 28? So at 28, I was a, I'm trying to remember actually. I was a television producer working for the BBC. I had just got married um, and I was making history documentaries. Interesting. There'd be so much to go further into, but quick fire questions, (laughs) quite quick answers. Um, When you were 28, who would you have wanted to interview, do you think? Oh, gosh, I wanted to interview lots of people and, and lots of them I have interviewed at some point, you know, in my life, which has been really fantastic. Um. I think, if I'm honest, I think there's probably only one person I've always, always, always wanted to interview and and never succeeded in interviewing, which is the um, Japanese designer Issey Mayaki, um, because I think he's such a genius and I'm just extremely interested in the way in which he doesn't really work like clothes designers generally do. He's absolutely set his own agenda and is as much a sculptor uh, and visual artist, really, as he is anything else. And um, I just think he's, I mean, so he's an extreme maverick. He's probably one of the designers that all other designers admire. And, um, and sadly, he's now in his very late 80s, and I think with perfectly good reason, doesn't want to do interviews anymore. But- Although breaking the mold, I think, is something that we'll get back to throughout the course of this conversation on being a maverick. Very important um, yeah. facets of leadership in many ways. Definitely. So finally, what's something that most people don't know about you? 
Well, it's it's hard to say because people. I often get asked that question, so I'm not sure there is anything <laughs> you don't know about me already. Um, I mean, I am a classically trained singer, um, which is not something I do except I sing in a choir. Mm -hmm. um, but it isn't something that I do, you know, sort of publicly, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, How come you're a classically trained singer? I just really love music. I was born with a really good voice. Um, and at one point, when I had sold a company and was trying to decide what to do next, a friend gave me a fantastic piece of advice and said, why don't you study something you've always wanted to learn just for fun? And so I did. Um, and it was fantastic because although I had trained also as a pianist as a child, um, you know, I had, I, had I had never really understood how to use my voice, but I could already read music. So that was superbly helpful. Mm. Um, and I think the whole experience of learning how to use your voice is not just metaphorical. You know, you, it's very much like writing, which is you have to learn how to use that voice. And both of those are, are uh, missions that are never finished. Right? You're always learning. And um, I kind of love that. Yeah. And using, using your voice and developing your own style and in a way using the tools that you're given yeah. with the greatest skill possible How would you link that back to leading at the very top of an organization? Well, I think, um, I think leading an organization requires that you call on all the skills that you have. It mm -hmm. requires that you have a deep understanding of the skills that you don't have. Um, but I think that, you know, what I see in many leaders is that they feel that they're there for their technical skills, which is generally what got them there. Um, but it is their human skills that will make the difference between being able to get stuff done and not being able to get stuff done. Mm. And from that human skills um, point of view, looking back at those human skills, mm. take us back to when you first started taking senior leadership responsibility mm. and in terms of leadership style what do you think yeah. was expected of you and what were you aspiring to back in those days that's a really great question um i think i was always very very highly highly motivated to do good work so for example if i think of you know the film i was making when i was 28 i think what i wanted to do was make a really really good film um I wasn't particularly motivated to get rich. I wasn't particularly motivated to be famous. I wanted to do what I was able to do to the very best of my ability. And I wanted to find out with every film that I made, you know, how, just how good that ability actually was. Um, so every film I made had some kind of challenge in it. I mean, I once was asked to make a film Uh, which was absolutely not my idea about how the rabbit came to be introduced into England, a subject for which I had and indeed have very little enthusiasm. <laughs> But, you know, what I thought was, okay, well, if I have to make this film, how do I make it interesting to me? Mm -hmm. Because I don't really give two hoots about this subject, but I have to find something in it that is going to motivate me to do as good a job as I can. 
And what I thought was, well, I've never really made a documentary that was funny. So was it possible to do a film about these rabbits and, you know, for it to be academically, intellectually rock solid, but also be quite funny? And, um, and it was, it was really, I mean, it was certainly funny to make. Right? So there was a clear, there is a clear sort of, um, a, a clear view on, or a clear priority on wanting to be motivated by the subject you're engaging with. So even if the subject matter per se doesn't, right. doesn't intrinsically interest you, there has to be something about the way of going about addressing yeah. that subject matter that needs to be enticing and inspiring in a way. Um, the question I was asking was um, was also really aiming at how we engage with other people around us mm -hmm. as a leader. And of course, that has something to do with motivation and with motivating others. Um, if you look back at your earliest uh, sort of senior leadership responsibilities, what was motivation? Did motivation play a role? What was motivation about? Well, I mean, depending on what the job was. So if I think of when I was running my first company, um, I was highly motivated to know who did I have, what motivated them, mm -hmm. And how could I develop them? I mean, I, I think I was extremely fortunate in having had early in my career a couple of really outstanding bosses who gave me an enormous amount of freedom, a lot of trust, um, and some fantastic projects. And I think I wanted to do that for them. I think that was pretty much my internal model of a, of a good boss, was somebody who understood you and as a consequence, put you in a position where you could grow and develop. Hmm. And it wasn't because of anything I read. I had no idea that this had anything to do with leadership. It's just, it's what had excited me very early in my career. And I thought that's just what a good boss does. Bear in mind at this time, nobody was talking about leadership. Mm -hmm. The word was not used. Um, it, I don't know when it started being used, maybe in the 2000s. Uh, people talked about bosses and they talked about managers. They did not talk about leaders. And to this day, the word makes me uncomfortable. It translates very, very badly in many languages. Yeah. Um, and as a German, I can attest to that. Yeah, exactly. In Italian, too. You know, it's just, it's not a great word. And I have, real discomfort with it and i i'm not sure well i think if you if you take it very literally leading means being out in front by that measure or definition there are vanishingly few leaders in the world but everybody in a top job thinks that they're a leader mostly well, from my point of view lead, leading means having people following you whether you lead them from from a spearhead position or through the back is not I, I wouldn't I would contest the fact that you necessarily need to be at the front in order to be considered a leader so long as you've got people following you but you're right of course in that it requires well, somebody to set the primary direction you, if you've got people following you somebody's behind right I mean they but, may be alongside but I think actually I see very very few people in senior positions who do actually um, have the courage 
to be out front and um, and take bold action. Hmm. Regarding boldness and regarding other people following you, has um, has your sense of what it takes to achieve that changed over the years? Like, do you feel, for example, how you enable people to follow you now would be quite different to how you would have tried to achieve that mm. when you started out? Yeah. Um, I think it's it's not so much it's changed profoundly, but it's I think it's become clarified. Mm-hmm. I have a, a very deep sense, which I've always had, which is the ideas of where to go, what to do, how to do it, are always in the people you work with. Um, then it's not the leader's job or prerogative to know. That's impossible, I think. It's the leader's job to find out from people who have some reason to have trustworthy ideas. Um, so I feel that quite profoundly. And as I say, I always have, but I think I feel it more profoundly now than ever. Um, and I think I felt it's very important to act before anybody asks you to. Like, don't wait to be asked to do mm-hmm. what you mm-hmm. think ought to be done. If you think it ought to be done, Get on with it. Yeah, and act feel, of urgency. Yeah, and I so I have a I have always had a great sense of urgency, and that has only increased as I've got older. Hmm. So I think like uh, I think there is a, quite a subsection of my generation that actually, because uh, we're here to, you know, partly to have an intergenerational dialogue, um, which contrary to received wisdom has actually is becoming more radical with age. And it really interests me, for example, when I talk to activists within Extinction Rebellion, mm-hmm. that so many of them are in their 60s. And they, like me, went on anti-war protest marches when they were young. You know, they, like me, have watched political corruption and scandals their whole lifetime. Mm. They, like me, you know, in the 90s and late 80s were very alert to climate change and so that's a kind of narrative that runs through a subsection of my whole generation and it's really fascinating you know if you go to exile protests or whatever um yeah there are lots of very young people and there are lots of people my age and of course there are people from every age but i'm really struck by that kind of polarity that I think, you know, I see as much activism in my generation as I do in your generation. And what is enabling people to be disruptive like this? Well, I think at my age, it is a sense of responsibility. Wow, we're, we got us in this mess. We got every, all the best stuff we got from, you know, pillaging the earth. We really have a debt to pay here. I feel that very strongly. And I think I also feel that, you know, and this is true for, for many activists I, of my generation I talk to, which is we don't have anything to lose. So one of the Extinction Rebellion inter- uh, activists I interviewed said this, I think, very poignant thing. He said, I am a, a white man in his mid-60s. I can afford to go on a protest. I can afford to get arrested. I can afford to go to jail. A young black man cannot do that. Yeah. So I am going to be there for him. 
Yeah, that's that's super interesting, and it takes me to to a second theme that we share that I wanted to um, pick your brains on, and that is to do with diversity in leadership responsibilities and leadership responsibility and leadership roles. Um, women, um, my, people of minority ethnic background, people with disability, generally underrepresented groups in leadership positions. You wrote your first book on female leadership in 2004. Mm. What was the, the thinking, what was the narrative like then about quote-unquote masculine and feminine leadership styles and, and how have you seen that sort of discourse change over the last almost 20 years? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I think people are much less comfortable with the idea that certain leadership styles are gendered. Yeah, um, I'm uncomfortable with that. Yeah, so, so that, you know, whereas I can remember at London Business School reading about androgynous leadership styles. Um, and I think now what we understand is you can describe them in gendered terms. It's not terribly helpful, but on the other hand, it's often what, how people perceive certain kinds of behavior. I mean, one of the things I'm really truly delighted about is that when I, you know, I talk to my children and their friends, I see what we might now call much more gender fluidity in that generation than I saw in mine, which is not so much, I think, that, that people were different, but there is a greater comfort with a broader spectrum. And I think that's just fantastic. Um, you know, I see women who are more comfortable being strong, and I see men who are much more comfortable being empathetic, and acknowledging their anxiety um, and their pressure to act in certain ways. Mm -hmm. And I think honesty around this, this subject has gigantically improved in my lifetime. I think it's still got a long way to go, but it's just, it's incredible. I mean, it's absolutely superb. <laughs> in a way, the leadership... Um challenges that people face today might be more complex than they were decades ago. Um, and so it takes, it takes a greater spectrum of, of skills, of outlooks, of attitudes, dispositions, a greater repertoire in a way to address all of those. Mm. You once described leadership as a, as a three-legged stool um, consisting mm. of forecasting, planning and executing. Do you think that model still stands Well, I was there. I was really talking about management rather than leadership. Right. I think for management, it it doesn't stand because our ability to forecast is so inadequate. Yeah. And I think it's an old. I think it's a very old notion, which really dates from the pretty much from the industrial revolution. Um, at it from a from a time in other words, where it probably was easier to forecast. I mean, if you ran a factory where all of your suppliers and your entire workforce were within mm. a hundred mile radius of yourself, you had a pretty good idea what was going on in their lives and in the in the economy and in social mores. Um, with globalization, that's absolutely gone out the window. Yeah, and so in a way, with forecasting no longer being um, 
or the forecasting becoming more complex, less reliable, with there being greater uncertainty in the system, yeah. how has um, how has effective leadership changed? What does effective leadership look like today yeah. in light of that ambiguity? Well, it's really interesting because I think, I mean, I think for one thing, I don't think it's changed fast enough, which is to say mm-hmm. most of the leaders and um, that I know are still adjusting to where we are. Um, and I was just reading some leadership data earlier today mm-hmm. and where they are is still desperate for certainty, desperate for predictability. And, um, and I think unlikely to find it. I think there's a really interesting thing here. It, it struck me about a week or so ago that, we all have a different capacity to tolerate ambiguity. That's true. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm very comfortable with lots of ambiguity. I'm, I'm not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and I know lots of people who are not at all. And I think it's a really important thing to know about yourself yeah. and to know about the people you work with because you definitely need diversity there. If to surround yourself with people who compliment and compensate yeah, for your own. Exactly. Your own yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're surrounded by people who are too, who are all really comfortable with ambiguity, it may be you never get anything done or your whole cohort is so risky that you just, you know, keep doing crazy and coherent things. Um, but if you are surrounded, if you're, if you're very uncomfortable with ambiguity and so are all the people around you, um, you'll get run over yeah. because by the time certainty arrives, it'll be too late. Right. And of course that will require a, pre- a pretty high level of self-awareness. Yeah. And it will also require the ability that we briefly touched on earlier to say, I might be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you, you will know better. So a sort of um, greater level of vulnerability in leadership, I would say. And yeah, that's a really good point because I, I think, I mean, I'm really comfortable with saying, actually, I was wrong about this. I thought this and I now I see that. Or I did this and it was the wrong thing to do. Completely comfortable with it in a way that um, other people I know and respect hugely are not. Hmm. And, um, and I think some of that, some of it's probably growth mindset, but some of it is also I'm very comfortable with the amb- ambiguity about, so just how smart am I, right? Um, I don't need daily proof because it's just not a question that interests me. I'm interested in the work, really. But I do think it's a really good thing to learn about the people that you're working alongside. because A, because you want to mix. And also um, because if, you're, if you have some authority over this group, it will be really helpful for you to give people who need a lot of certainty as much certainty as you can because that will make them very much more productive and creative whereas if you think well i don't know so they don't know so we'll just all go blunder around um, you really won't get the best out of them their need for clarity is a really important driver in any kind of team because they'll stop you wallowing in unknowing indefinitely Right. So they may be, from people like me, a little bit of a pain in the neck, but they're serving a fantastically useful purpose. Absolutely. And that's a form of diversity in leadership teams that 
that I can absolutely get behind. It's this idea that you need to know your people in order to be able to create the conditions for them to flourish. And right. they will need to know you yeah. um, in order to understand how they can best come together as a unit with yeah. you at the helm. Exactly. Absolutely. And I think we um, we would all benefit from making that part of our discourse on diversity, mm. um, that it requires us to actually share well, develop the first the self-awareness in the first place and then to actually talk to each other yeah. about how we best work and what we would need from each other in order to reach our full potential. I think that's a really good point. And I also think that, of course, you know, as you know, when we don't know people, we fill the void with stereotypes. Indeed. And there are lots of stereotypes about men and women, about age, about background, which you know, people will think that, you know, for example, that, well, you know, scientists are really uncomfortable with ambiguity. Well, some are, and that's what drives them to be very productive scientists. And some are not, which is what drives them to ask really profound questions, which generate breakthrough work. So it's so important to understand the person rather than just see the characteristic. Yes. And the, the the other side of that argument is, of course, that it there is no singular one leadership profile. No. It does, you don't have to be X or Y in order to become a leader. I would argue you need to understand how you best work and what conditions and, and with what kind of team in order to be effective. So the self-awareness, the, the vulnerability, the diversity mindset in a way is is a sort of important mm-hmm. facet of successful leadership, but it isn't the personality profile um, per se right. on its own no. that determines effective leadership. And this is something I've seen in my work over and over again. I, I meet leaders with all sorts of different personality profiles. Mm-hmm. The challenge um, that, the, that the really effective ones have overcome is, um, well, really developing that self-awareness and knowing how to leverage the profile that they happen to have most effectively. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think that's right. Have you ever met leaders who you thought really shouldn't be? Well, what what I have seen is that we all, I guess in German we say we all just cook with water. <laughs> yeah, there is no magic potion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so leaders who shouldn't be, well, there are leaders who could, who could um, do better given the, the tools and skills that, that they actually have. Hmm. Um, there are leaders who could who have room to grow in certain areas hmm. and who might not yet be the leaders they, they have the potential mm-hmm. to be. But, um, but leaders, I have not met a leader who I think is sort of um, has a magic recipe. <laughs> no, I've, I've definitely not ever met a, a, a leader who thought he, had a, or he or she had a magic recipe. I have met people in leadership positions who I thought were in the wrong job. Yes, for sure. So there's a, there are better and worse fits um, mm-hmm. to a particular role. And, um, and I, I do see sort of tendencies when you look into different um, areas of business, you find different, you tend to find different profiles and different roles, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is always really interesting when you find somebody with a profile that is quite um, uncommon for a role. So when you have um, people who are particularly disruptive and particularly risk, um, mm-hmm. risk open to taking risks in sort of um, 
quality management mm-hmm. or you know roles that re- that tend to attract people with a more um pragmatic right. and sort of right. security minded stability minded mindset no and it's really interesting i think when you see organizations that are unaware that different parts of their organizations need different kinds of people what i'm thinking about is in pharma where in pharma R&D, you need people with lots of comfort, with ambiguity and a high risk profile. Yeah. And yet in operations, like with manufacturing in pharma, you need people who despise ambiguity and their mission in life is to get rid of it, right? Yeah. And it's always, you know, I'm very interested in pharma is a particularly extreme example where within a single culture, you need people at such radical ends of the spectrum. Yeah, that's true. Um, and and yet I'm sort of mindful not to, not to stereotype too much um, because again, I think there are, um, there, we're not enslaved to our natural tendencies. We have, we have all got room to build skills and compensate for, for gaps and to become effective in different environments. It's just, it really is a matter of actually gaining some good level of insight into how you work and what the environment around you requires and what the people around you require. Um, Because we're talking about leadership dispositions and skills, when you look into the future, what, what do you think the leaders of the future need to bring to the table to be successful? What do you see as some of the most important trends to look out for? Um, I think, I mean, certainly what's top of mind for me at the moment is great sense-making capability. You know, so so this is a lot about synthesizing vast amounts of information to have a sense of what's going on in the world. Mm. Um, Great sensitivity to what's going on inside my organization. So great listening, great clarity around what are the important questions we must answer now. There are a million questions to answer. We can't answer them all. What are the ones we must answer now? And so I think there are two other things I would say. One is, and this is going to sound really strange, the capacity to look quite far into the distance and think about what the worst outcome could be. Because in many of the leaders I work with, that is specifically what they don't do. That nobody wants to look at the worst scenario, but I think that's really important to do. And I think the other thing is, I think leaders need to think about and question their own legitimacy. Hmm. In whose name are they doing what they're doing? In whose name are they spending other people's money? In whose name are they using the earth's natural resources? In whose name are they employing people? What gives them the right to have power over people? Because I think legitimacy is earned, not given. And, um, and I think most of the best leaders I've worked with ask themselves that question quite often. And and that makes them sound very insecure, which is not a terrible thing, but I think it's the right question to ask because anybody leading a bunch of people is taking on a big responsibility and I think it's important to keep asking, am I discharging that responsibility well? Yeah. Finally, as we're wrapping this up, 
Um, and maybe related to what you just said, what would be a piece of advice you have for people like me in their late 20s mm. who are not yet in those senior leadership roles, but who will be one day those leaders that take this, this next generation into the future? Um, don't wait, run. <laughs> run like hell. We really need you. <laughs> um, and beware of what the system will do to you. Everybody is changed by the environment in which they work. That's so true. Most people don't notice it. And many wake up 10, 20 years later and wonder what the heck happened. Hmm. I, you know, I've worked in big companies and small companies. I wouldn't, I don't, you know, they've all changed me, but I like to think that along the way I noticed, I kept track of myself. So that would be my advice. Keep track of yourself. And when you find that you're starting to behave in ways that you're not entirely happy with, you know, step back, take a step back and find out why is this happening? Brilliant. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Oh, my pleasure, Angelica. Good luck with your podcast series and with all of the work that you're doing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. I enjoyed that very much. Good. I did too. I did too. Wonderful questions. If you'd like to keep up to date with Life Perspectives, you can follow us on major podcasting platforms. Just search for Cumberland Lodge. You can also keep up to date with all the work of Cumberland Lodge on Twitter, Facebook and on the Read, Watch, Listen page of cumberlandlodge.ac.uk. Thank you once again to our wonderful guests, Dr Angelica Love and Dr Margaret Heffernan for joining us. And thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>